Hello and welcome to the Scottish Clans podcast. This is Clint Edwards. Thank you for joining me today. I'm sorry that it's been a couple weeks since the last episode. I've been pretty busy, you know, and I mentioned this in an episode earlier, previous episode, that coming out here to Monterey to learn a language without my family, while the point was not to have more free time, the point was to not uproot my kids again for what we knew was only going to last for nine months and then uproot them again when we go on from wherever we're going to go from here. But at the same time, I did think that I was going to have massive amounts of free time because I thought, well, how much time do I spend doing family stuff back here and and I'm not going to be with my family, so I should have tons of free time. And I was naive in that. I'm not going to go into detail about every hour of the day and how that's spent, but suffice, suffice it to say that I don't have as much as I thought I would. And so I'm doing my best with these podcasts and these episodes, getting them kicked out. Today, I've got some things I think are kind of central to what we in this podcast have discussed. And when I say we, I mean me and your feedback that you've been kind enough to take some time to offer up. In fact, that's once again how we're going to start this episode because I feel like it's important to address this is this whole podcast idea for me was meant to be the beginning of a dialogue between me and other people who are interested in a similar in the in the same subject. And people who are coming from different backgrounds and have come at this from different angles. And so I'm going to share with you a few comments today, and it's going to be the platform also to discuss some other things. In addition to something that I have wondered, and it's completely independent of any listener feedback, it's just something I'll tag on the end of this episode that I think will be interesting for you too. And I think it's a, I think it's a really big deal because we all have... I mean, maybe any of us that have Scottish ancestry have a mix of Highland and Lowland ancestry. Or not. Maybe some of you, maybe you're, you're only Scottish ancestors. You live in Canada or the U.S. or Australia, and your only Scottish ancestors came from the Highlands. For me, uh, I, I, it's a mix. I've got Scottish and Highland ancestry. I'm interested in both, and I want to understand really where both were coming from, especially in, as it relates to the kin-based society. All right, so let's let's jump in. Let's we're gonna start with I, th- I think really I checked with the Podbean app and with the Apple Podcasts, and I don't think I saw anything new on there. But Facebook is always good for some things to talk about. So let's start off with Jonathan Burns. He said, "Hey Clint, would you or any of your listeners know if HouseOfNames.com is a dependable resource for looking into Scottish border clans and families?" particularly borders, border clans, and more specifically the Burns family name. It's nigh on impossible to find more than a few sentences of information on them, and precious little of it is well cited. On that note, I'm looking forward to more Border Reavers episodes. Thanks. Jonathan, I just got to let you know that I'm not done with the borders. And... I think the border hist- board, the history of the borders is fascinating. There's plenty there to talk about, and so so don't worry, brother. We're gonna we're gonna be back to the borders in the future. As far as the houseofnames.com, I based on off of your inquiry here, I did. I said, well, let's let's just look up something on houseofnames.com that I know a little bit about. 
And so I typed in Clan McFarlane. Well, look, if you... So let me try to put it this way. If you know nothing, nothing about your ancestry, like zero, you don't even know what language your name comes from, your, your surname or whatever name you're looking up, then it's probably okay. If you are looking to dive into some no-kidding history, then based off of what I saw just off of the McFarlane clan, I would, I would not use that as a source. They had the McFarlands originating in Aberdeenshire, and that's not even close. Now, have they, is there any connection with Aberdeenshire? Yes, there is some. When the McFarlands, a long time after they were founded as a clan, if we were fast-forwarding to the early 1600s, you all are familiar with some of the problems the McGregors had. Well, the McFarlands got into some of the same trouble, too. They were similar in nature to the McGregors, although I'm not going to say that they're completely the same as far as the events of the clan. But they were outlawed, and some of them did change their names, and some of them did push out to different areas to include Aberdeen, Aberdeenshire, Aberdeenshire. Aberdeenshire, I don't know. Anyway, so yeah, but that's so so much later. There's the fact. Anyway, so no, don't use HouseOfNames.com as a source for looking up history unless you're just completely starting from scratch. Then then maybe check it out. All right. Um, I don't know much about the Burns name, and I know that it's frustrating, and I know that we've talked about some clans have just the good fortune of having some actual scholars within their ranks who have done no kidding, solid, academic, scholarly work in areas that directly pertain to that clan. Not every clan is so fortunate. So maybe the Burns are waiting for you to take up the effort and you'll be the guy. I don't know. Where to tell you about the the Burns family name? I I have not come across a lot on them. I'm familiar with Robert Burns, Robbie Burns, however you like to call him, and that he's got his own night, and people get together and cite his poetry and have a dinner, and I don't know, maybe in some circles get crazy drunk. I don't know, but that's about all I know about the Burns surname. Okay, so hopefully that was helpful, even though I. I try to, so as far as sources, Jonathan, I guess I'll conclude in response to your comments that I try, I've I've tried my best on this podcast to be open with my sources. In fact, on that note, right before I started recording this podcast, I went on my Facebook page and I started, so you have archive.com. I don't know if any of you are familiar with that website or nope, sorry, correction, archive.org. Archive.org has has full PDF downloads of like the complete books. And there's some of these books now that are, they're very, very commonly used in Scottish clan history research. Not all of them are flawless, but they have information in them that, that is worth digging into them for. Some of them were written in the 1800s, so long time after the events are describing, hundreds of years. Other times, 
in the case of the genealogical history of the Earldom of Sutherland, which I've quoted at length before, you have, that was written in the first half of the 1600s when the clans were still a thing. And it was written by a Gordon, I think, I think it was Robert Gordon, and the, the Gordons were a clan, they were lowland in nature, and that's going to bring me to a comment that I have on, on deck for just a few minutes, but um, they, uh, anyway, the value of that is that it's written at the same time as the clans were still in full force. And he's describing, in many cases, history that only happened roughly a hundred years before his time. And so, there, he's, he's not, in, in relatively speaking, he's not really far removed from a lot of the events that he describes. So I, I actually posted four works on the Facebook page, the Scottish Clans Facebook page, for any of you who want to go to facebook.com forward slash clans of Scotland for the Scottish Clans Facebook page. You can, you can look into that, and then you can also look at other things that have been, um, been written, and you can download that's another important thing about that website, archive.org, and those sources I put on there. You can download the PDF to your computer. So you have it right there. You don't need to worry about internet connection or how good the connection is. You can just bring it right up, read. I think in some cases you can even highlight, depending on your Adobe software. And Anyway. All right, moving on to Megan Robinette. Hey, I've just run across your podcast channel on Spotify and was wondering if you would talk about Clan Mackay, McKay, or... If you talk about the uh, Clan Mackay any, or if they're mentioned in any episodes. So I would say that actually I did mention them in the that little mini-series I just recently did on... You had the, a clan name and an earldom with the same name, and kind of untying that for people helping untie that knot and, and understand that a little bit better. When I was talking about the earldom of Sutherland and the clan Sutherland, I did mention the Mackays, but I have not done a specific episode on them. Now, on this note, the Mackays are interesting because of who they are and where they come from. I believe they're one of the earlier... The, the, when I say this, I want to make sure I say this accurately... On one of the previous episodes, and, and on a few of the previous episodes, I've said that most of the Scottish clans trace back to uh, where they actually get their the name that they ended up becoming surnames and things that we would recognize today, and the label of the kindred and who they claim descent from. A lot of them are coming out of the 1200s and 1300s. Some come from before that, however. A few examples would be the McDonald's, the McDougal's, McRory's, but another one would be the Mackays, and they're tied in with the Mormares, or that was the early word for the Earls of Ross, and they're tied up in some rebellions against the Scottish crown, and there's some kinship going on there, and competing claims to thrones and stuff, and I, I have not really found a good source where just helps me connect all the dots on this, but this is something I'm interested in digging into. So just, I mean, hang in there with me. I'm not promising it's going to be the next episode, but yes, Clan Mackay is on the radar. Clan Mackay, Mackay, whatever. Mackay is closer to the original Gallic pronunciation, but I understand, especially here in the United States and maybe Canada. I don't know. I've never lived in Canada. I have been there. I have been there. But... um 
I don't know how they do it there, but here it's usually McKay or even in a lot of cases Mackey. I've seen that, like even a town in Idaho that's called Mackey. Anyway, on to Sam Reed. Now, listeners, if you've been with me for a while, you might remember Sam Reed because he has been a contributor. He's he's somebody who has really taken some time and dug into this whole Scottish clans things. He's done some reading, some studying, some studying in good sources. And he's offered a lot of good feedback here. So let me just read you something that he mentions. He says, hey, Clint, the McInnes episode was excellent. It really got my wheels turning. The discussions you lead about who or what is a clan are my favorite. Don't worry, Sam, we're going to get a little more of that today. Please do add the McNeils to your list, but could you also expand it to include the McNeils outside of Barra as well? I'm curious if the McNeils in Argyle, on Kintyre, Gia, Isla, etc., claim ancestral ties with those of Barra since, for a long time, the McNeils in Argyle did not have a chief named McNeil and were instead operating as Campbells. My theory is that as one moves into the modern era, post 1648 ish, a clansman's loyalties had more to do with geography than surname or biological ties. I suspect that McInnes's living in the Clan Ronald territories probably saw themselves as Clan Ronald people, more so because that's whose land they lived on and less because they shared a common McDonald ancestor. In my research on Moidart area families, I came across the name of a soldier in Clan Ronald's regiment during the 45, which for those of you who missed some of those uh, previous episodes that we did, I don't know, back in January, the He's talking about the, when he says the 45, he's talking about the 1745-46 Jacobite Rebellion. Okay, back to Sam Reed's comment here. He was recorded as Duncan McKeon McInnish. I wonder about this name. Was he a McInnish in the sense that he recognized that as his surname, in the sense that he recognized that as his surname and that he was descended from Clyde McInnish, or was he just plain old Duncan, the son of an Ian and grandson of an Angus? I'm thinking aloud here, but I would be interested to know your thought. Know your thoughts. Thanks again, Sam. And then he quickly followed this, followed it up with, looking back over my sources, I may have answered my own question on Duncan. In Charles MacDonald's Moidort among the Clan Ranalds, he lists this Duncan as Duncan McInnish Vickian. This leads me to believe that this Duncan did not go by a clan surname, but was rather Duncan, son of Angus, grandson of Ian, or... Son of Ian, grandson of Angus, depending on which transcription one reads. Gallic names. Oh, boy. Anyway, thanks, Sam. Great question. Um, So here I would make one little comment on what you mentioned right there. When we talk about my, my goodness, this Belgian Malinois that I've got. She, it's been way too long since I pet her, I guess, and she is just right up in my business. Now, for those of you who are just wondering, if you should get a Malinois, I think they're fascinating, magnificent animals. They are. And if you are outside a lot and you cover a lot of ground or you have a lot of work to do that you want to use a Malinois for um, and you have maybe some land, I recommend Malinois. They are awesome dogs, extremely intelligent, superstar athlete, athletes, um, Great to have around, very protective, but not mean. My Malinois here, I know I'm totally drawn off on a tangent, but she's she has forced herself into my attention here. Um, she Her name is Skye, as in the Isle of Skye, 
which happens to be named after a legendary female warrior, so I thought that it was a fitting name for my female Malinois, Belgian Malinois, or Maligator as I sometimes refer to her. Anyway, when I bought her, I had 16 acres and a lot of acreage around that. That wasn't mine. I mean, she usually stayed, did pretty good about staying near the house, but I kept her outside, unchained. And I had another dog, an older Border Collie, which my wife and my kids have back with them. And he did right to train her up, and she's always really good to stick close to the house and didn't have to worry about her running off and chasing people's cows or anything. Just has been really cool. And then our living situation has changed drastically, and I decided to take her out here with me for some companionship, partly because of me for some companionship and partly because I didn't want my wife to have to... <laughs> manager because she is a handful anyway I live in now in a 450 square foot apartment and that's not ideal living conditions for a Malinois it's temporary we're only going to be out here so long and then we'll go try to get some more room but holy cow they like attention all right that's the end of my tangent on that Sam Back to your comment here. Okay, talking about how they were seeing themselves. You mentioned um, that. Let's see, where did, where was it? My theory is as one moves into the, a clansman's loyalties had more to do with geography than surname or biological ties. I suspect McKinnis living in Clan Randall territories probably saw themselves as Clan Randall people more so because that's whose land. Now, so that's what I wanted to, to hit on. I don't know if they saw themselves as, as Clan Randall people especially if they're still bearing a McKinnis surname as a surname, not just son of Angus. But, yes, geography had a ton to do with that. And, and you know, to be honest, some people did. Some people did adopt the surname, they adopt the identity, and they became whatever. A Grant, if they were living on Grant, territory, a Mackay, if they're living there, a McLeod, wherever they were, and that was the dominant kin group there, yes, they absolutely absolutely did assume that as their, as their identity. And maybe there is some actual blood kinship there, and maybe not. For those of you who are wondering more details about this, go back to my episode on the structure of a clan. All right, so yes, you're right to point that out, and I think it's, a, it's, it's very good that we do talk about how big of a deal geography was. All right. So anyway, there's some some well thought out comments from Sam Reed. Thank you, Sam. Always like your like to hear what you got to say. Uh, Jeremiah Spence, who I did include in our last episode, but since then he and, and maybe maybe it was uh, be, during that. Uh, maybe I've already mentioned this, but I know that I didn't do one thing that I and that was he shared a link that I actually right before I pressed record. For this episode, I did post it on the Scottish Clans Facebook page, and I did not go back way, way farther back to see if I'd already done it. I just posted it. So for sure, this article that Jeremiah Spence shares is on the Scottish Clans Facebook page. It's entitled, What is a Clan? by Dr. Bruce Dury. Okay, now I posted there. I, if, if this is complete garbage, I would not have posted there. First of all, I want to point out that this is by Dr. 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 PhD type Bruce Dury. Okay, so when I disagree with him, I'm doing this understanding that he holds a PhD is commonly viewed 
as a level up from a master's, which is what I hold. With that said, I have done a lot of reading on this, and I thought mostly he was right, and I do think it is worth a read, or I would not have posted it on the Facebook page. Now, um, I'm not going to go through the whole, that would be a whole episode to go through his whole article, but let me just, he's, he begins his article with some bullet points. Well, there's there's actually a heading. I'll read you the heading, and then we'll go into the bullet points, and I'll just tell you what I think about that there. Just so you know, because well, I'm, I'm posting it, and so by, by posting it, it's almost the same as putting my name on it, even though I'm clear about where this article is coming from and who it's by, and I'm not claiming anything I, I shouldn't claim. But I, I'm kind of endorsing it if I put it on my Facebook page, and so I want to do that with a little bit of a caveat here. So, starts off clans and families. Clans are a consequence of the templating of the Anglo-Norman feudal system onto pre-existing territorial holdings, but with certain specific features, such as military elite, and were a phenomenon of the Scottish Highlands and borders, not the lowlands. Okay, and then... He goes on to say, a lot of spurious genealogy derives from a misunderstanding of the legal and historical background to a particular topic. This is an especially vexed question in connection with what is or is not a quote-unquote clan in Scotland. In the popular imagination, everyone of Scottish descent is a member of a clan typified by one or more related surnames, a particular tartan, and allegiance to a chief. However, okay, I'm going to pause there in the quoting of his article. Yes, those of you who have been with me a long time have listened to the earlier episodes of this podcast, you know that this is something I, when I was trying to dive into this for my master's thesis, I, this was starting to bug me because I could clearly tell that there is some discrepancy between how today's perception of clans was and what, how it op- actually operated back in the day. And I've had serious questions about lowlands, borders, and highlands. To go back to his introductory phrase where he says they're a phenomenon of the Scottish highlands and borders, not the lowlands. Okay, now if you go back to my episode on is your clan really a clan, I I go into a lot more detail, so I'll just give you the very short version of it here. In my study and reading some other well, much more established professors on this subject. Scotland at during a, within a certain period of time, well I should say up into a certain period of time, generally speaking, highlands, lowlands, borders, wherever, was a kin-based society. And if you go to my Montgomery versus Cunningham feud, that is an example of two lowland surnames, kin groups, who are not, they were neither highland nor border, who fought each other, and the participants in that conflict did so based on their allegiance to a kin group. That, if, if you're, if you're identific, if your definition of a clan is more specific than that, to where that what I just described falls outside of what a clan was, then maybe we're using the term a little bit differently. And that's important, right? If you're going to start out start off a conversation, and especially if you're going to disagree with each other, you have to have your terms well-defined. And so defining a clan 
to go back into the you know clan he dr um Dury, Bruce Dury here does point out that the, the word clan, as a lot of you probably know, this is pretty general knowledge, comes from the Gallic for children of. And if we are going back to people who are actually using that phrase, um, I, I, uh, I sometimes wonder how they would have thought, thought of it, a clan or not a clan. Anyway, I, I talked a lot more about this in that previous episode. Is your clan really a clan? I don't remember which number it was, but that's the title, and I've got my titles to all of them, so it should be easy to find. All right, so going to his bullet points here. The first one is, clans were a highland and borders phenomenon not applicable to the families of the lowlands where the majority of the Scottish population lived then and lives now. Okay, so I just addressed that, right? There are clear, very clear cases of highland or uh, sorry, lowland families, not in the highlands, nor in the borders, who operated along kindred lines. And this would extend not just that central belt between Glasgow and Edinburgh and along, along there, but it would also extend up the east coast of Scotland, right, right up through Aberdeenshire and, and all. So it's not, when we say lowlands, it's not a north-south deal. All right, so... You can get into the Gordons, you can get into the Forbes, and the feud, you know, they did a whole podcast or a whole episode just on that feud right there. And if that wasn't clan warfare, I mean, I'm I'm just here to tell you, after reading through that a lot, it's looking really similar to what was going on in the Highlands and Borders. And so I think we're trying to boxing up things up in these tight little categories where you can place them neatly on a shelf and clearly dis- see the distinction between them. I don't think it was quite that clear. I, I don't think it was quite that clean and neat. The next bullet point says, Clans were not just and not even a kinship group. Absolutely true. Absolutely true. Um, clanship, once again, going back to the, not these neat, tidy little lines within any given clan's territory, even amongst those people who identified as part of the clan, there was not necessarily a genetic link. Even within people who use the same surname, there's not a clear genetic link, even if the one was perceived. And in some cases, they weren't perceived at all. All right. Most Scots were never part of the clan system, however defined. Um, I don't know. It, within a certain time period, I don't know. I, I, uh, I don't know if I can confirm or deny that. It, the one thing that he is he does not cite anything in this whole article, which I would expect somebody with a PhD to talk about sources a little bit, not just improving him right or wrong, and like, how, how can I check his accuracy, but just if, if I'm more interested on something he mentions here, there's also the value of having it cited, and I can like, oh, I want to read more on that, I can go to this source, okay, got it, as opposed to the, I, I've mentioned Michael Newton, and his book, Warriors of the Word. I have used his bibliography and his cited works in there as a treasure trove of places to go. And I even scratched the surface because it's several, several pages long of sources. And the book's well cited. And so there's value there. And so none of this is value. I, so when he says most Scots were never part of the clan system, that's a pretty big statement. 
but I can't I, I can't argue with it, but I also uh, would be hesitant to wholeheartedly throw my support behind that statement. The next bullet point, the term quote-unquote clan ceased to have any real meaning post-1746 and assumed a different meaning post-1820. I think I know where he's going with this. I can pretty much agree with this. When he says ceased to have any real meaning post-1746, I believe what he's saying there is no longer is a chief a war leader. Um, uh, his, His identity as the leader of men in combat that he can personally call up completely independent of the government. Yes, that would be a, a hard bookend to that existence. If that's what he means by that, then I can go along. Did the feeling of kinship within a clan, and because keep in mind, a clan being in a clan was more than more than just an, a small army. There is a lot more going to, going into it. The, the thing is, and I think the reason why we associate clans with military so strongly is that most of the things we see them do as a kin group, are most of that's military. I mean, you can find things, uh, some economic in, endeavors that they go into as a group, but it's the you really have to read between the lines and, and get into some contemporary sources and it's... Anyway, that's it's it's just the the military aspect of clanship is high visibility. It's really easy to find. All right, clans have no formal place in Scots law. This is the next bullet point, by the way. Clans have no no formal place in Scots law, although chiefs do to some extent. I don't know enough about Scots law to even discuss that. I'm I'm just going to defer to him on this one. Tartans, although in some cases ancient, did not have the one-to-one relationship to surnames as is now affirmed until the early 19th century. Absolutely. Absolutely true. Um, so he goes, this, the article is quite, quite a lot longer article. It's, it's actually a lot of material here. And so I do encourage you to read it. There's one more thing that I want to discuss on here. One, one thing that I, I, I'm not sure if I can get behind on this, which is that the the templating, the Anglo-Norman, it, the clans are a consequence, one of several consequences of the templating of Anglo-Norman feudal system onto pre-existing territorial holdings. That's where I, where I would disagree. And I'm disagreeing. The work of John Bannerman is interesting on this, um, where, what he refers to as the kin-based society. There's evidence of a kin-based society a long time before the Anglo-Norman people are introduced into Scotland. Now, maybe, maybe I would need to, if I, and I have not read this whole article, and perhaps I could, he unpacks that a little bit more. I, I opened it up and got into it right before I started recording. I knew, but I knew I just read that, but guys, the clan system, and he talks about the clan system as compared to what it was in Ireland. And they weren't. He's right. The The clans in Ireland, it was not the exact same thing. Although they're probably starting from a common a common root. You know what? You know what we do in our lives is we, we tailor and adapt to our own circumstances. And the Scots were not in exactly the same landscape or political circumstances as the Irish were. But now he, he mentions that the... The Scots, 
the 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 people who founded the kingdom of Dalriada were mm-hmm. coming all came from Ireland to Scotland. I'm just going to I'm I'm not going to refute that, but I am going to say that that is a subject of de- debate. Um, Alex Wolf has taken a side on that. Um, I think it's Eric Campbell has taken a side. Anyway, you can you can listen to the scholars debate. That's not a. I guess my main point is that's not a settled issue. The origin of the kingdom of Dalriada, as it is commonly painted, in the fi- sometime in the early 500s, Fergus Moore McGarrick takes a hardy band of pioneers and pushes in and conquers or peacefully settles or somehow introduces his group into the southwest highlands and isles, the the southern Hebrides and what became Argyle, and they introduce themselves into that area and become the Gallic-speaking kingdom of Dalriada and introduce the Gallic language into previous Pictish territory, so on and so forth. Um, that is not a settled issue. It is not completely agreed upon whether it happened like that or if it did or but with some variations on that, or if it's completely wrong, and it, there's there's all sorts of argument on that. So to just state it straightforward, like especially as a scholar, um, if if we if you have a, a doctor at the beginning of your name, then we expect some scholarly work on this. Now, I don't want to be too hard on Dr. Dury here, because I gotta accept the audience that he's probably writing this for. People write differently when they're writing to a group of other scholars. And the problem with that, as I've mentioned before, is that it's dry. It's not fun for an average person to read or listen to. Now, if you're neck deep in the subject already, you're familiar with a lot of the work that's already been done on it by other scholars, and you have that kind of a framework to go into it with, then you're getting a lot more out of it. But for somebody who does not come from a really strong scholastic or scholarly background on the subject, and then to read scholar talk or listen to it is boring. It's dry. Because they're writing with the assumption that other scholars are going to read this and they're going to break it down. And if their stuff is not really well explained and really well sorted or cited, then it's not going to withstand the the scholarly criticism that is sure to 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 encounter. And so, so maybe that's part of you know why he doesn't cite things very much here. I'll give him the benefit of the doubt. So. On the uh, I but so I'm going to go back into this that. I do not believe that the that there was. I'm gonna I'm I'm gonna refer to the clan as a kin based society. And I I got it that not it, it's more complicated than that and and Dr. Dury points that out. It is more complicated than that geography has a ton to deal with as Sam Reed was was pointing out, and and Dr. Dury goes into that in his article as well. The landscape of Scotland and Ireland are different landscapes. Now. That, that's a little bit of a flawed premise to go on because he says, well, the Irish landscape is more open. It doesn't have these natural mountains to defend your little glen that you can use for protection. Um, and so where it's more open, it's more open to invas- invasion, and they had to band together in kin groups to protect their stuff. There, so let me, let me handle that from a couple of directions. One, 
is that there there were kin groups in Scotland in terrain that looks a lot like what it looks like in Ireland because it's not completely different. Yes, the Highlands of Scotland, generally speaking, are much more rugged than the general landscape of Ireland. However, there are parts of Ireland that are more rugged, and the clan system just didn't go away there because they could naturally geographically defend their, their territory. Another thing is that the, we, are, we are filled with evidence that the Highlanders were very capable of moving a military force from one glen into another, even over some pretty rugged terrain. Now, I will give them the point that terrain is a big fat deal. I've mentioned before that in a rebellion against where the, the earls of Huntley and Argyle teamed up against Queen Mary and they failed, well, she went after Huntley. Guess what? His headquarters, his stronghold is in the lowlands and a lot more easy to access than the Earl of Argyle's at Inverary, deep, deep within the highlands. In the West Highlands, he's got a gigantic network of clans that are loyal to him. He's got access to the sea, very, very easy access to the sea with all those locks that penetrate the Western Highlands. And so, yes, geography's huge. I, and, and he was only using it maybe as one of several, so he put all of his eggs in that argument basket. But anyway, um, I, I just don't... Uh, the clans of Scotland, ex there was a kin-based society there a long time before the Normans showed up. Now, with that said, and, and if you've listened to previous episodes before, especially the Origins of Clans episodes, of the clans as we recognize them today, most of them do not form until after the Anglo-Norman introduction into Scotland. Now, with that said... That's, I said, mostly, because I, even within this episode, I've mentioned exceptions to that, right? With the Mackays, the the Sorla, the Summerlid, his descendants, the McDonalds, the McDougals, they were, their their clans, their, the names even that they take the, from their clans, that all, that's all pre-Norman stuff. So, yeah, they, they had, now, did the clanship, the clan, clanship? and the feudal society are not mutually exclusive. There is enough flexibility within a kin-based society that they could absorb the concepts of feudalism. So you have, you have a new element to the, the kin-based society, and yes, so the kin-based society does change and does adopt a different, a different character when they're meshing with feudalism. And change happens, and that happens all the time. But to say that there weren't, the clan system did not exist before the Anglo, which is kind of, he doesn't say it in those many, that many words, but that's kind of the message that I was getting from it was that basically the clan system didn't exist before the Anglo-Norman introduction to Scotland. I, I wouldn't, I probably wouldn't go that far to say that. Anyway, but you know what that did, though? That article and Jeremiah Spence contributing that to us, you know what that did is that created a great place to start talking about the central issue of this whole podcast and why you guys tune in to listen. Well, a lot of you guys, some of you just want to hear a good story, and 
I'm sorry I didn't I didn't uh, provide that in that, but but that's a it's a key topic, and it's one of the reasons that we we have this going is so that we can discuss the Scottish clans, not just the individual histories, but the um, the nature of clanship, the some of the concepts and ideas behind the history that we love so much. So thank you, Jeremiah Spence, for for sharing that with us. I just wanted to point out a few things before I turn everybody loose with that article, especially when I'm going to post it on my own Facebook page. So that being said, please read it. Please dig in. And um, if if there's something that he says later on that, you know, I, I just completely missed it, then then go ahead and bring it up and, and let me know. And I'm not claiming to, to talk about this subject from a position of omniscience. I'm figuring it out as I go, and I've learned a few things, and I don't know a lot of other stuff. So, yeah, that's what i got to say about that. The Malinois is back. I haven't pet her for at least five minutes, so she needs some more, some more love. I'll tell you what, for all the YouTube videos that you would watch on a Malinois, just tearing into somebody and wanting to eat them, just keep in mind that they're trained to do that this this sweet little dog that i've got here she's not really that little but she's not huge um she's 60 pounds even i think she has never shown aggression when i've had her out in public not toward other dogs and not toward other people now i did have a guy when i very first moved into this apartment come in to fix my furnace that wasn't working and she wasn't sure about that guy, and she let it be known. So she is protective when she's in space that she considers her own and when she's got people that she considers her own, part of her pack. She's, she takes that pretty seriously. But going out into public places, I'm not. I'm so not worried about her doing something stupid that's going to get her and me in a lot of trouble. So, yeah. Oh, less tangents on that. Let me share with you something before I before I wrap this up. I want to share with you a little a little project that I did, and this is a long time ago that I did this project, and I, it probably is going to lead to more episodes. But I think the concept of this is worth bringing up right now, and that is this question: Were the Highland clans? We talked about this discrepancy between Highland and Border clans, and and. Uh, you know, I'm, and when I say that Scotland as a whole was part of a kin-based society, I'm not here to tell you that it was the same throughout all of Scotland. So hopefully when I said that before, all of Scotland was part of a kin-based society, you're like, well, this guy's bogus, I'm out of here. I do want to tell you that I do believe that clanship looked different in different areas. And there's a reason... A very well-earned reason why the Highland clans are so closely connected to a martial lifestyle, warlike. I thought, okay, were they really, or is that just a perception? Okay, so let me tell you my sources I did to, for this little project. My, so I, I use Wikipedia a lot. Now I know where I know where Wikipedia is getting their information, and so that's important here. But Wikipedia provides the information in a really, especially when you're doing these broad strokes deals like I have done in previous times. I've told you about it. Like um, recently, those the geographical distribution of the clans during the 
1715 and 1745 Jacobite rebellions. In those episodes, I use the heck out of Wikipedia. It just can, it it collates or consolidates not collates it consolidates a lot of the information in in a way that you can scan through it so this is this is helpful when you're just doing a broad sweep just to look for trends and if you're going to then dive into it then to use those cited works or if it's not cited then you know like hey this should be cited why isn't this not cited and anyway and one thing so i've i've done enough of this to know that throughout most of wikipedia's articles there there's some some works that are cited a lot one is Conflicts of the Clans, which is done by the Fullest Press and was published in 1764. All right, so keep in mind that is the generation who fought at Culloden is still alive. Well, except for ones that died there. But that, gen, that group of people, there's, there, there would still be people, even in relatively good health in 1764, who were around during and could have fought in the Battle of Culloden. And taking a very active role in that that Jacobite rebellion. Okay, so it just goes over kind of a survey of different battles that were fought between clans, and it says it was written from a manuscript wrote in the reign of James the Sixth of Scotland. Okay, so it's it's using earlier material. So anyway, that you'll see that if you're looking at those sources cited on these Wikipedia articles for these different clan conflicts, these Scottish clan battles which has whole lists of them, you'll see that source pop up over and over again. A genealogical history of the Earldom of Sutherland that I've quoted at, or ref, referred to at length in this podcast. Not in this episode, but in this podcast. That, that's a good one, and I did. that was one of the ones that I posted the archive.org link to on the Facebook page. And also the Book of Mackay, written by Angus Mackay. And that one was, what was the year on that one? 1906 is when that was published. All right, so there's three. That that's not an exhaustive list for this of sources, but just so you know that it's there's and those are well, uh, quite often cited sources within other works as well. All right, so I was trying to get a were the Highlanders more warlike? So of all of the collection of clan battles that I could find on Wikipedia, was the number higher for the Highlanders than it was for Lowlanders or Borderers? And so just keep in mind that for, for the purpose of this little project, you have the highlands and then everything else. I did not distinguish borders, lowlands, northeastern lowlands, Caithness, whether you decide that that's highland or lowland. It's not really highland in topography, but it, it was not a stronghold of, of Gaelic. Anyway, I didn't distinguish. It's either highland or it's a lowland. And within that realm, I was able to find mention of 39 battles that were actually recorded. There's historical works that, that refer to them, that describe them. And I understand that there was probably a billion more that were never written down. I got it. But that I could find reference of 39. And these are... These are significant no-kidding engagements. For the lowlands, I was only able to find 12. So if we're playing by the same rules as we were at the highlands, and we're assuming that there's more than that, especially, I would say, down on the borders, but wherever, more, still, that ratio 
is a three to one ratio. Now there was nine battles that I found that were a mix of the two, and the rest of the battles weren't really clan battles necessarily. I'm talking about specifically you have one kin group and maybe some allies against specifically another kin group and maybe some more allies. If you're going with a list of total battles that clans were involved in, but that involved government troops, um, other, other scenarios, fights with England, then the list would be significantly longer. But I'm just talking about Highlanders versus Highlanders, Lowlanders versus Lowlanders, and then nine that it mentions were a mix of the two. Because it's not always nice and tidy, like I mentioned earlier. So what do you do with that information? I don't know. You dig in deeper, I think. That's what you do. But on the surface, and that's just where I'm at right now, it looks like there's roughly three times as many clan battles in the Highlands as in the Lowlands. So, what if 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 we don't if our perception does as we dive deeper into this, and we don't find anything to change, what we're looking at, what conclusions could we draw right now? Perhaps, even during the time period when in the lowlands they were roughly organized along kin-based society, along kindred lines, even during that time period of history, it does not seem that when they thought of going to fight, the first thing they thought of was summoning up all of the, the Lockharts or summoning up all of the Butters or Barclays or what other really lowland families, the Bruces. I don't think I've ever read of a fight where the Bruces were called up to fight. <coughs> and that's maybe why we start to look at this. And we go, if we could go back to Jeremiah Spence's comments, which actually I shared with you his his um, his link that he shared, but I never actually shared his comments. He said, I received this link to this article from people in Glasgow. I have also been speaking with some people in Aberdeen. The consensus is that lowland families were not clans and that this clan idea, along with Seps and Tartans, is all post-1820 English rebranding of Scottishness. Um, so, Jeremiah, you're not completely wrong. Uh, there, there is there's some legitimacy. There's some real things going on with that comment. There's some, some good perceptive things going on there. Um, yes, lowlanders were organized into kin groups. Uh, and I don't know when, when that slacked off. I don't know if it was during the reign of King James VI. The Stuarts were... That's kind of a common theme throughout their works. They're trying to consolidate power into the monarchy. And ultimately... That was one of the factors in the the conflicts in the 1600s that saw them lose power. But um, uh, yeah, I can't I can't say a date at which the lowland kin groups stopped operating so aggressively along kin kin based lines. But it it was a thing. It was exist. There were lowland kindred groups, and sometimes not nearly as often as the Highlands did, and there's 
a lot of scholarly work that's been done on that. If you're going to look at the works of Ennis Mechanic, or Angus McKenzie, but he, he signs it Ennis Mechanic. Look at some of his work. Look at Martin McGregor. Both of them have written about why and Michael Newton. But these there's several people that have Allison Cathcart has written on Highland efforts to line out and play along with the government. Not every single clan was just completely flipping the bird to the monarchy in Edinburgh. There were there were significant efforts in the parts of some Highland clans. Gaelic speaking, no kidding, Celtic Highland sure enough clans who tried to play along and I would argue foremost among that were the, the Campbells because they tried to play along with the government did not make them a less Gallic less Highland anyway um, it, they, they these kin, the kindred yeah there's so there's reasons why they, they're, or there, there's I should say there's explanations why they seem so much more martial, but the kin-based society did exist in Lowland Scotland. So that that is true. Now, Jeremiah, is how we see clanship presented to us today the result of post-1820 Victorian era marketing? Yes. Absolutely yes, that is true. So I guess... How I might want to title this because I have not uh, saved. The, you know, I'm still making the episode, so I can't save it yet. I, I can still decide what I want the title of it to be. Perhaps it should be the nature of clanship, and with a little dash of "Were Highlanders more violent?" <laughs> I don't know. There's a lot of things going on politically in the Highlands, not just some genetic disposition toward violence. I'm not going to ever claim that that's a thing, really. But there were some real things, and I mentioned some scholars that you can go study up on if you want to dig into that more. Thank you for joining me on this episode. Um, i got to get to bed. i got school in the morning, and i got to do this. But I appreciate you joining with me. Please, if you don't mind, share this podcast with people you think would enjoy it. If you've got something you want to follow up on this, comment, question-wise, request-wise, please do so through the Facebook page, through the Apple Podcasts app, or the... I'm on Spotify, but I don't really know about the dialogue on Spotify, but the Podbean app is another place that you can do it, and we have carried on some good dialogue on that in the times past. Um, one more note on listener feedback... My list of requests for clans is long. <laughs> so, and I have not been writing it down exactly in the order that they were requested. So, what am I trying to say? So, I, I think one thing I want to be clear about is that this podcast is not, the intent of it is not to just a who's who list of of Scottish clans because you can get that so easily you can get just the highlights and the broad introduction to if I do an episode on a specific clan there's going to be something about that clan that is interesting with the Grams it was genetic tests that tied them back to the Middle East 
Oh, that was fascinating. But I, if you notice, you can go back to that episode, I didn't talk a lot about a broad overview of the history of the grams. So, so when you're making these requests, I'm not telling you to stop making the requests because I like that you are. I am telling you, kind of making sure you understand what to expect. You're not going to get a... I'm that I've, I don't think I've ever done one single episode where I'm doing a broad overview history of a clan. There's usually something very specific that I want to point out about them and, and make a note of. And it's not... And I'm not telling you it's not in the Wikipedia article that you could read just doing a simple search. But maybe I want to take that little thing that is in there and I want to, it's a little, think of it as a little gem. And I want to hold it up to the light and I want to turn it and let the light hit it from different angles. And we want to to really see this in its beauty, these, these different parts of this history, which is what it is to me. It's really beautiful. Even the ugly parts of it are still fascinating to me. And I think it's important for us to understand where we come from, and not that we need to be warlike or violent, not that we need to have the exact same outlook on life that the Highlanders had. Frankly, I think they should have written more stuff down. And I know they did during a certain time period, but I'm a little bit perturbed at earlier gales that they just thought that they would pass everything down orally. That just, uh, okay, well, let's let everybody else tell our story, specifically our enemies. Let's let the English tell our story. Let's let other Scots, but from the lowlands that don't even speak the same language. Let's let them tell our story. Hey, I know. We're ancient Picts or Caledonians. Let's let the Romans tell everybody else about us. Well, how about you tell your own story? Because guess what? Somebody's going to come along or not everybody's telling those stories that you guys are memorizing and spending all that effort to store in those sharp brains of yours. But how about just writing some stuff down? How about that? The technology existed at the time, but there was a, it seems like, and what I've learned, there's a deliberate resistance against it. I know some of the Gauls wrote some things down and used some different scripts and stuff like that, but that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about no kidding histories, like the Romans were writing, like the Hebrews were writing, like the Greeks were writing. I mean, look, we have this treasure trove of information about their societies, and then we have pottery shards and what's left of hill forts and whatever else to figure out people in Scotland and it just seems lame that they didn't write things down anyway <laughs> there's my little soapbox <laughs> not that it will do any any amount of good to people who are long gone but thanks for joining me today I'm glad you did and I'll hope I'll hope to have you with me next time goodbye <laughs>